this is Katie. I'm Vinny, and you're listening to Learn Real Good. It's a podcast about science. Yeah, get to know science. Learn <laughs> something good. Which we like to do. We're big learners. Yeah, that's the main reason we made this podcast. That's true. We like learning and we like it to be fun. That's sort of the, the, the conception here. Yeah, I like both those things. You do? Yeah. What else do you like? Is that it? Is that the extent that's of the, the list? list? That's the yeah, whole list. That's it. I don't like eating. Puppies. Nope. Hate them. Ice cream. Yuck. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's devastating. Unless I'm learning about puppies or ice cream. Okay. There you have it. That's the, that's the loophole. That's how we get you to like <laughs> those <right>. things. <laughs> Contractually obligated. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, you know, we've done a few of these episodes and I keep forgetting, you know, we need, we should reintroduce ourselves for sure. people who don't know us. So I'm Katie and, uh, I am a biologist by trade. I have a PhD in biology and I teach biology at a sage up here in Montreal. Uh, and I do comedy for fun. Yeah. What about you, Vinny? What uh, are you all about? I teach comedy. What? As a profession and I do science for fun. <laughs> now... Yeah. You used to do science for reals. Yeah. For realsies. Yeah, I did my master's in physics. There we go. Credentials. That That's what you wanted to hear. <laughs> I like to brag about that. Sure. About my... <laughs> I brag about others' accomplishments mostly. That's pretty good. Yeah. You, you do pretty good too. Well, okay. You don't, don't want to talk about it. Let's get back to others' accomplishments. Sure. Um, and we like to start the show once we finish goofing um, with... Fun science facts. Fact. Yes. Tried to make that melodic. It worked. I regret it. <laughs> it did not work. Oh. <laughs> but that's okay. Mistakes are gifts. That's right. In science and comedy. Look at that. Yeah. Do you want to go first today? Oh my gosh. You know what? You knew I was ramping up. I know. You're to, excited to trying share to this avoid one. it. So it's funny me. because I had it all. You know, I like to have my research in front of me when I bring up yes. these facts. And on this particular website, apparently I had exceeded my free article view on my computer. Oh, no. And so I can't pull it up on my laptop, but I have it on my phone. Oh, nice hack. <laughs> Sorry, paywall. <laughs> you got hacked. I know. It's weird. I feel like at this particular website, I go to way more on my phone. And yet I have more free views. In any case, I do have it. Now, Vinny, before I get to this fact, because the fact is short. So I'm going to ramp up a bit. What, what do you... Wolves. Okay, that's, that's what we're talking wow. about, wolves. wolves. Now, Just going right for it. Yeah, wolves, as you know, sort of historically, eh, they have a bad rap. Sure. As much top predators, I feel, often do. I mean, I'm personally scared of wolves. <laughs> sure, big teeth. I mean, I grew up in Sudbury, Ontario, where the OHL hockey team was the Sudbury Wolves. And right. the picture, you remember this picture? It's quite grotesque. Look it up, folks. Sudbury Wolves. It was like a cartoony wolf fine but like a lot of like blood coming out of its mouth so like they wolves. put blood on the logo <laughs> yeah wow i know right. we don't mess around in no i guess sudbury just goes yeah, for it tough. right to the jugular yeah like like a wolf might yeah <laughs> but the thing with wolves are is they can often be a good thing like many top predators they can control right. whole food webs and their yes. absence will be felt a classic example a classic example classic for ecologists is what happened with Yellowstone National Park once they reintroduced wolves. So okay. to simplify the food web, wolves eat elk, which are like big deer. For... What, what's a food web? Oh my gosh. How, how sort of who eats who is connected? Like a food chain. 
Yes, but that a food chain assumes that one or one species solely consumes another species, which wholly consumes like another. Like in a linear fashion. Correct. So food web is just closer to reality. More like a network of exactly. Foods. Yes. Okay. So wolves eat elk, which are like big deer. Famously. Yes, and elk eat wolves. <laughs> So the circle is complete. It's a circle of life. Yeah. That's what it's about. Um, they eat plants, like oh, young trees and sure. stuff. So in Yellowstone, after all the wolves were killed, because people think wolves are bad, mm-hmm. um, there was the elk population exploded. Right. Uh, because there are other things that will eat elk, but not nearly as good as wolves eat them. Things like coyotes. They're great at They're it. so good at it. Yeah. Um, and... With all those elk eating, the vegetation had negative impacts on the rivers, had negative impacts Mm. on the fish that wanted to live in those rivers, and then all the animals who depend on them. Anyway, the whole food web was, well, not the whole food web, but if you looked at the the number of different species that succeeded in the absence versus the presence of wolves, wolves, good guys for the food web. Okay. So wolves got reintroduced, fixed a bunch of those problems. Wow. Great. Great science fact. That's not the fact. Whoa, that was all set up. (laughs) I'm already have my mind blown. So people have legitimate complaints about wolves, right? Wolves in the city. Wolves you just eat. said how good they were. Hey, <laughs> right from a park point of view. But okay. if you're living with the wolves, there can be legitimate well, concerns. Who's living with wolves? Uh, <laughs> people who live in the parks oh. or in rural communities where okay. wolves have, have come in and will eat their livestock. Yeah. And, you know, they, they can be bad. Um, but wolves can save human life. That brings me to this fact. Do you have any guesses, Vinny, how I'm going to indirectly tell you? Uh, I do have a guess. What is it? So people every year get into car accidents. Son of a. And so wolves come across and they prevent car accidents. Now I'm going to die. Is this your science fact? No. (laughs) Okay. I thought we looked at the same thing. I was just making that up. Is that true? I am blown away. Really? That is it. Wolves prevent car accidents? Yes. Okay. I was talking out my butt there. I thought I thought that you found the same fact. No, I made, good up, actor I made up for the whole ramp. Okay, so this is a paper that recently came out and looked at 22 years worth of data in Wisconsin prior to wolves being introduced and and afterwards and found that with wolves deer vehicle collisions went down 25% and was translated to 63 times um, less cost if you compare cost to loss of livestock and any sort of other negative impacts of wolves on humans. This had a huge benefit. Oh, because they were fewer elk to hit No cars. deer. So we're talking about deer. But Be so... Well- Keep your species <laughs> straight. Are the, are the wolves eating the deer or the elk? Which we'll one is eat it? any ungulate. All Any right. indiscriminate ungulate taste. That's right. So, my name of my band, by the way. Wolves, lots of predators will right. use roads because it's a nice clearing to hunt. And so because they are eating the deer that are along the roads or just them being there and their smell and their presence keeps deer away from roads, it has a negative impact on accidents. Wow. Yeah. Way to go, wolves. I know, right? I'm a big fan. They're, yeah, it's always a tricky topic. There's a lot of uh, a lot of drama around wolves. There are people who don't like them and want to hunt them. Yes, and people who think controlling their populations itself is, you know, horrible. They're, everyone has an opinion on wolves. 
Does everyone have an opinion on <laughs> Are there no people with opinions? Every yeah. human on Earth, Earth has an opinion it's about It's a known wolves. fact. I guess so. Elk, too, have opinions on wolves. Not a fan. <laughs> Not a fan, yeah. Famously. Okay, well, I have a fact for you. There are bladeless wind turbines. Oh my gosh. Okay. So... Wind turbines, famously, <laughs> uh, are known for their big spinning blades. Mm. And so uh, I guess they're not turbines if they don't have their blades because the turbine implies the spinning. So what these are, <laughs> are they're like giant rods that stick up out of the ground. And they're like, they're more like tubes, I guess. They're, ho- they're hollow plastic or carbon tubes. And they wiggle around mm. in the wind and they hit a, like a resonant frequency and inside, there's, like, mechanisms that can adjust the distribution of weight so it matches whatever wind is blowing. And then as the wind is causing these oscillations, the there's a mechanical system inside, a series of magnets and, and wires that's generating electricity. Now, it is not as efficient as mm. a turbine blade wind generator, but these are much smaller. How small? Like... Uh, like the size of a room, like the like ten okay. feet, um, or two meters, I guess, if you're a metric person, as I probably should be. We <laughs> Canadians are weird about where everything's in meters except for like human scale heights. Oof, yeah, it's very strange. Mm-hmm. So they're about two meters tall. They're like basically two meter tall tubes that wiggle. They just they oscillate and wiggle, and they make far less noise than the the big blade turbines. They don't require anywhere near as much the same uh, footprint on the ground because you don't need to anchor this giant tower on anything. And it just sticks uh, on the ground. Uh, cheaper to produce. They're, you can, they are less mechanically uh, prone to breakage because the giant moving parts on a wind turbine, it takes up a lot of oil. It takes up a lot of energy to make these things. So you can mass produce. So the loss of efficiency on this is made up for by its quantity and its ease of reproducing. Now, what our audience doesn't know is that Vinny now sells these. So uh, <laughs> if you get in now, you can come in on the ground floor for just $1,000 and I'll send you two of them. No. What? Uh, it's a pretty fascinating adaptation to because, yes, maybe the wind turbines are more efficient if you're like out at sea or in, you know, in remote areas. But having smaller, uh, scalable less disruptive wind turbines means you can put them in more places very cool do, do they is there any sort of relationship between how low an amount of wind they can harness energy from there is a cutoff but generally wind is blowing like it's a pretty free source of no yeah so i i sorry what i meant was i feel like that motion sounds like it's easier to generate energy from oh, lower yeah. amounts of wind sure. than the amount that's required to spin a thing. Yes, but I mean, when it's low like that, you're not going to be generating a lot of Like, you need a strong wind to generate a lot of oscillation, to generate, like, a, a usable amount of electricity. That is neat. But yeah, it scales up. So instead of one giant mm-hmm. turbine, you know, maybe you have dozens of these smaller ones. Yeah, people, people, I find wind turbines beautiful. Sure. I mean, I, I, I'm concerned about its effects on wildlife because it's, it's been noted that they obviously are not great news for birds. And mm. it's suggested the sound they make can be have negative impacts on other things. So I right. think that, that research is still ongoing. So that's of a concern. But I don't think they're, to a human, 
visually ugly, but lots of people hate them. People hate them. People have fears about them and worries about them. And so any smaller scale uh, adaptation of these technology, yeah. I think I feel like it's a good thing. More tools is always better. I agree, except in the kitchen. <laughs> Minimalist with tools in the kitchen. <laughs> that's right. You have one spoon and just a pot. And that's it. <laughs> It's uh, fascinating what you cook. We're not gadget people. We don't have a <laughs> garlic press. Anyway, send us your garlic presses. Okay, should we get... For $1,000, <laughs> we will send you two garlic presses. With your first six wind non-turbines. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. right. Well, that's enough goofing around. Let's get to the, the meat and potatoes of the show. Yeah. We have a fantastic guest. Yeah, no one's here to listen to us. <laughs> well, I hope they don't hate us. They're, they're just going to skip the That's all we ask. Just 10. don't hate us. Yeah, we've yeah. got low... Low expectations. Yeah, for but ourselves. our guest, I'm yes. excited. To oh talk my gosh! About. Well, I get to talk about someone else's accomplishments, which I love. That's your favorite thing. Yes, yeah, my favorite thing. So, Sujani Gomez is our guest. Um, she is a second-year master's student at the University of Alberta in microbiology and biotechnology. Her area of research is environmental microbiology and microbial physiology with a focus on nitrification and related processes. She was born in Sri Lanka and immigrated to Canada when she was 13, and her career goal at the moment is to finish her master's and become a post-secondary science instructor. Please join me in welcoming Sujani Gomez. Hey, welcome Sujani. Thanks for being here. Hello. <laughs> yes, thanks for being here, Sujani. Well, I mean, first let's talk about microbiology. It, I get, I'm assuming from the name, it's yes. the biology of things that are small. Yes, it is. Got it. All right, that's the end of our interview. Thank <laughs> no, you for being no here. No mammoths. Correct. No, no, no mammoths. Although mammoth microbiology would be very interesting. Oh, imagine that specialization on an extinct yeah. animal's microbiology. Wow. Yes. I guess so. Whoa. The gut Lots biome. To learn there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Maybe we can start there. Like, what is microbiology? What does a microbiologist study? Um. So microbiology, like you said, is the biology of small things, but even within itself, it's a very vast field because microbes can be a lot of things and everything has its own microbiome essentially. So mm -hmm. human microbiology can be, um, you know, medical microbiology, things that make people sick, which is kind of what most people think of when you think of little tiny things that are living on your body, but they can also be really good things, the necessary things. Like now there's a lot of research on gut microbiome, for example, and how that has a huge impact on your health. But microbiology can also be a lot of different things because what I do has nothing to do with the human body or animals at all. It's environmental microbiology because they affect a lot of the processes that happen in nature. So microbes can be everywhere in, mm -hmm. in everything and in, involved in a lot of different processes. So it's, it's a very big field about very little things. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great tagline. It's a good catchphrase. <laughs> That's funny. We started by talking about wolves being demonized, but bacteria too. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. where a lot of students, when we talk about bacteria in class, that's where their mind goes. Like bad, E. coli, bad, you know, without reflecting on there's so many good ones and we need them. Yes. All right, Katie, top five <laughs> uh, bacteria. I, I, well, I want to hear Sujani's top five. But before we get to that, <laughs> let's talk. So you talk about... We're going to get to this. Yes. This is, mm -hmm. this is a specific and important. I know nitrogen in, in the environment is a particular conundrum. 
But I mm -hmm. think maybe a good place to start on this topic might be to talk a bit about the nitrogen cycle, how sort of nitrogen mm -hmm. flows before we get to what your cool guys are up to. Yeah. So nitrogen, the nitrogen cycle, I think I probably learned about it in high school and then forgot all about it <laughs> until I started my master's. Um, so nitrogen is kind of like the third most important element when it comes to living things, because after carbon and oxygen, all of our biomolecules have nitrogen, specifically our proteins, because all of the amino acids have nitrogen and some of our nucleotides have nitrogen. Um, and as we know, our atmosphere is majority nitrogen gas. But because nitrogen gas is made of a made of two atoms with a triple bond, it's a very stable molecule and it's not usable by a lot of the life forms. So there are specific kinds of bacteria and um, archaea that fix nitrogen, which they take nitrogen gas and then turn it into ammonia. So that's kind of the first step in the nitrogen cycle. And then there's the process of nitrification, which is where my research falls into, where another set of microbes take the ammonia and turn it into nitrite and then to nitrate. And those forms are, especially ammonia and nitri nitrate are usable by other organisms, especially plants. They will take up that nitrogen and then turn it into other things that we eat. And then that's how we get our nitrogen um, or from other animals. Then there's process of denitrification, which is when the nitrate goes back to um, nitrous oxide, nitric oxide, other oxides of nitrogen, and then back to nitrogen gas. So it's a very interesting cycle because it's primarily run by microbes. And there's a couple of other complicated processes that are anaerobic and reductions and such. But in a very simplistic sense, there's the fixation, nitrification, and denitrification. And almost all of this is done by different sets of microbes. So that's kind of how the nitrogen cycle is. And something that I didn't actually know about before getting into this research is that the nitrogen cycle is actually really imbalanced in our world mm. right now. Oh, no. Um, have you heard of the Haber-Bosch process? Whoa. No. <laughs> no. What, what is Haber-Bosch up to? What are those yeah. scoundrels um, up to? So that's the process of artificial nitrogen fixation. So basically because nitrogen gas can't be used by plants, it's a rate limiting factor for plant growth. Mm. So you know that our fertilizer usually includes like ammonia and nitrates to make plants, give plants nitrogen. And in the early 1900s, um, two scientists Haber and Bosch, they developed this process to turn nitrogen gas into ammonia okay. by like pressurizing it and such. I don't know the chemical reaction. <laughs> I just know that it's the Haber-Bosch process and it fixes nitrogen without the microbe. Okay. And that has definitely increased our food supply and such. But because it's so, it's not part of the natural process, mm. it's kind of been overused and it has led to a great imbalance in the nitrogen cycle, uh, which is a concern. Interesting. Wow. So, hang on, so hang on, let me get, let me get this right. Vinny's got questions. We have nitrogen <laughs> in the air. You yeah. can't use it. Yes. Yes. The stuff in the ground that takes the nitrogen gas, puts it yes. in the ground, the plants go into the ground, eat it, and mm -hmm. then they use it. 
And then mm. we eat the plants or animals eat the plants and then we eat them and then yes. we get it. And then it goes back into the... When we die. When we decompose, yeah. I guess it goes mm -hmm. back. And then mm -hmm. it goes back into the air. So that's mm -hmm. the nitrogen cycle. I got that? Okay, great. Yeah, essentially. And, <laughs> and then the Haber-Bosch part of it is we skip the whole part of going from the air into the ground. We just like take it out of the air, mm -hmm. use a machine and turn it into the stuff that the microbes have turned into the food for the plants mm -hmm. we and turn we it into fertilizer and then we stuff it in the ground the plants love it mm -hmm. okay great i think i followed now that was mm -hmm. a, i i mean i have to commend you both sujani that was a fantastic explanation of the yeah. nitrogen cycle and Vinny, you really simplified it i well i mean you got to when you're dealing with me I, I mean, <laughs> this is not my field at all and having too much nitrogen is also bad right in aquatic environments so that's mm -hmm. so if you were dumping Haber Bosch got us to dump nitrogen on our crops so we can get more plants, but then a lot of mm -hmm. that washes away and then that causes yeah. algal blooms. Mm -hmm. The plants in the water eat it. Uh, mm -hmm. Sure, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of microbial processes going on that are okay. involved there. And nice. I guess I, I study one of those processes, which Amazing. is, it's called, it's kind of a paradox because it's called nitrifio denitrification. Right. <laughs> so there's nitrifying bacteria, which are, or nitrifying microorganisms, I should say, because there's also archaea that does this. Mm. And they take ammonia and turn it into nitrite. Um, and then another group turns it into nitrate. And then there's some bacteria that do the whole process. But I study ammonia oxidizing bacteria. So they consume ammonia as their primary um, energy source and they turn it into nitrite. But if they're in like low oxygen environments, they can actually reduce the nitrite. They start using the nitrite that they produce and they turn it into nitrous oxide. And that is problematic because nitrous oxide is a really potent greenhouse mm -hmm. gas. Mm -hmm. um, um, you might know it as laughing gas, right. which is how <laughs> I knew it <laughs> before I started studying this stuff, but it is a really potent greenhouse gas. And so I'm studying how these little bacteria um, produce this gas. And so there's, we're putting nitrogen into the ground and then there's a greenhouse gas coming out of it. Mm -hmm. That's bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> That's my diagnosis. Yes. Good job. Wow. Mm -hmm. So it's not just CO2 that we're, we're messing around oh, with here. No. It's well, methane too. Methane's a much more potent oh, greenhouse man. gas. The thing with CO2 is there's so much of it. Right. It's sheer quantity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. But yeah, we don't need this. We don't need this. <laughs> no. So, no, so, we don't. <laughs> so looking at this process, Sujani, is your focus more on like why they're doing it? How much are they making? How to stop these these guys from doing this sort of what's 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 sort of your your work focused on? My work is focused on understanding the enzymology behind the process, like Whoa. what sort of enzymes are, are they using to turn nitrite into nitrous oxide. And my project specifically, I work with a specific strain. And this strain is interesting because its genome doesn't have some of the enzymes that were thought to be essential for the process. So, okay. but it's still able to produce nitrous oxide. There's a mystery. saying that either what we understand is, there's some gap in our understanding, like what we think is happening is 
not what is actually happening or there's other ways right. to do the same process. So I'm studying this strain Ooh. and studying its physiology and I'm starting to work on its proteome to sort of figure out what sort of proteins are active when it's producing nitrous oxide. Wow, very cool. So would the goal then be to, to, to inhibit one of the enzymes to get them to not do well, it? First, we got to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> but you skipped the whole step. I know, but to, to... We have a whole question of like, how is this happening? We There's a way of doing it that we understand. Yeah. And this, this a bacteria, it's a bacteria, a micro, mm -hmm. yeah, yes. is doing it without that mechanism. Mm -hmm. We got to figure that out first. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what would you be doing in the lab recently, Sujani, to address mm -hmm. this question? Like, what's, If you can get into a lab, yeah. I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I can get into a lab with very limited access, so limited hours, limited personnel. But what I've been working on first is just confirming that this bacteria does have the ability to produce nitrous oxide, that it wasn't just a fluke. Mm -hmm. So I've been studying its growth curve. Um, I grow them in these gas type bottles with a very specific media that has ammonia and minerals in it. And they eat the ammonia, start producing some nitrite. And because the bottle is gas type, their oxygen supply is limited. So as they grow, they use up the oxygen in the bottle and it hits a stage where there's not enough oxygen for them to keep oxidizing ammonia. And they start reducing nitrite and producing nitrous oxide. Right. So I measure at what point do they produce that. I've also been doing this assay where I take grown cells and I give them nothing else but nitrite and I put mm. them in a low oxygen environment and see if they can indeed produce nitrous oxide. So that's what I've been working on for a little while now. <laughs> Very cool. And they're doing it. So they're doing nice. it. <laughs> First step. <laughs> Just but confirm I mean, that it wasn't yeah. a clue. Well, that's how science works, right? You got to like yeah. go bit step by step, you know, so many uh, false positives can come out of mm -hmm. like, I remember a big physics result. Oh, right. Uh, they're like, oh, we detected this thing that was impossible. And it turned out all they were were detecting was the uh, microwave being used at lunchtime. <laughs> and the signals from the microwave oven were being picked up by their instruments. It's like, you got to you gotta do your checks. That reminds me of my first false positive as oh, a youngster. Yeah. I used to wear those track pants that have the snaps down the sides, those Nike track yes. pants. This is going somewhere. Yeah. And I noticed when I was walking, I heard a creak. And I was convinced there was something wrong with my knee. And I wore these pants so much that I really thought there was an issue. So I went to the doctor and found out that it was just one of the snaps was creaking. <laughs> Is that the same thing that we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, that's very similar. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> you got to make sure the source of what's happening. Yeah, it took a doctor to crack that code. <laughs> Amazing. So, Sujani, how can we know like how much nitrous oxide in the atmosphere can be attributed to bacteria? Is there is there any way to sort of know how much of that is from them? Is it that they're the only ones producing it, or is it just we know they make it, we know it's increasing, perhaps they're contributing to it, or is there is there any way to measure that that you know of? They're they're not the only ones that make it. There's also denitrifying bacteria. That's kind of certain bacteria that is their job, <laughs> um, but there's also like industry and all the other, the regular things when you think of, of pollution that produce nitrous oxide as right. well. Um, so I believe there are studies that are measuring, trying to measure at least how much of this is from this, how much of this is from that kind of thing. And there are some studies about that give us an idea about that. 
but I think it's a difficult thing to measure accurately because in nature, bacteria exist in communities of mm. all different kinds. So you can't, it's hard to isolate one group of bacteria and say, okay, this is coming from this process and this is coming from that process. And the, the biotech part of the program you're in, is there any, that suggests to me that like, when I think biotech, I think like manipulation of the genome. Is there anything that of like that, that you're, you're working on with this project? Or is that just part of the program you're in that you're not directly working with? Um, it's, I would say it's more part of the program that I'm in rather than part of my project specifically. Um, I think the biotech part, especially like other people in my lab actually work with methane eating bacteria, which is okay. also cool. And they're working more on how to make methane into like useful products. <laughs> so they do a little bit more biotechnology. My project specifically is a little bit more basic research, trying to understand what's going on. And so what are some applications of this? If you figure out what's happening, then what? So nitrification inhibitors are a thing that is being looked at, being developed specifically to prevent this process of nitrifiers producing uh, nitrous oxide. And also because sometimes they will use up the ammonia that were meant to be for plants. And mm. they're also important in like wastewater treatment because there's a lot of like ammonia and urea in there that we want them to use up. So there are applications, especially in agriculture and in wastewater treatment to sort of make it into a better situation of maybe not producing as much greenhouse gas. But like Vinny said earlier, I'm still at the got to figure out what's going on step before. <laughs> and I think of it more like, well, not only do we have to figure out what's going on, we have to make sure that what we think is going on is mm -hmm. actually what is going on, which is kind of where this strain that I'm working on being different from the other strains, but seem to be doing the same thing. It's like, okay, we're, we don't want to make decisions based on incorrect information. Sure. We want to make decisions based on correct information. That's how I prefer to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's cool with this project too, is it seems like you're in sort of a win-win scenario, right? Like something, something's different with these bacteria, either they're doing a different pathway or they're using different enzymes, like either way, it's, it's good news for you. Like that's, that's, important. <laughs> yes. that's important news, right? That's, that's a good project to do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And so this special strain, was it like discovered? Like did someone be like, whoa, what's going on here? Is it from like one crater at the bottom <laughs> of a mountain in Venezuela? Like where, where, what's so special about this strain? Like where um, did it come from? It, it was isolated from Greece actually. And it was isolated a really long time ago. It's called Nitrosomonas communis. But I think the, the issue is more that we don't really know too much about the different species of ammonia oxidizing bacteria. Most studies have focused on one specific species called Nitrosomonas europea, and that's kind of the model organism for this group of bacteria. But that one is, I think that was just the one that happened to grow the best in the lab and was easy <laughs> to cultivate, mm -hmm. and it's not a very accurate representation of all the different strains that are out there, there, there are strains that are adapted to different environments, like, for example, the same strains that are more dominant in an agricultural setting wouldn't necessarily be the same strains that are dominant in a wastewater treatment plant. Hmm. So I think there's, there was an interest in understanding, okay, how do different strains do the same thing? Are they able to 
do the same thing? Do they all produce nitrous oxide? Um, and so a student um, previously in my lab had been looking at some different strains and looking at whether or not they produce nitrous oxide and also like sequencing their genome. And she found out that this bacteria does produce nitrous oxide, but it's missing some of the genes that were thought to be Amazing. important. So how does one, I've never worked with bacteria really, just just in like isolated labs and, and courses. How does one go about, if you're working on bacteria, mm -hmm. you just go to a, like a, a lab store online and you order order some, is that what happens? How do you get, how do you get bacteria? Yeah, Amazon, <laughs> <laughs> you know, free shipping if you order this many bacteria. I mean, I did that with newts. That was my experience. I ordered <laughs> newts from- <laughs> What? Yeah, no, there's there are actually like there Amazon like things right. where you can through a university research. or a research institute. I mean, order. those have to be like vetted and ethically. Of course. Right. Well, not of <laughs> course. I mean, I would hope so. Oh, yeah. The ethics are intense with any living thing. Yeah. Are, are there mm -hmm. any ethics boards you have to go through for bacteria? Um, not that I know of, especially for the environmental mm. ones. But I imagine for the medical, medically relevant right. ones, you definitely. And do you have to keep like everything super clean? Like how do you, <laughs> we bacteria everywhere. Yes. And um, yeah, actually things getting contaminated is a real issue. But the lucky part for, for our lab is we work with very specialized bacteria mm. that require very specialized media. And mm. chances of other bacteria being able to grow in that media oh, is... Right unlikely right but we do still get contamination from other bacteria that kind of feed on the like the dead matter sort of mm. is i don't They're know we, we still do get contamination sometimes and i'm like what are you growing on there's only ammonia <laughs> in here they don't care they'll what are do you it. eating <laughs> <laughs> that's another research project <laughs> yes <laughs> what is the contaminant <laughs> i guess this is like a bigger question on a scale of say one to ten, uh -oh. how much would you say we know about bacteria in Whoa. general? Like a guess, obviously. And the bacteria are listening. Yeah, they're gonna be like, <laughs> oh really? I would honestly say like a two. A two? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you agree, yeah. I guess, eh? I yeah, I mean, well, I obviously would defer to her, but sure. yeah, I'm not surprised it's a low a number. There's so much we don't know. There is so much we don't know. We don't even know how to categorize them, right? Like when you yes. when you look at like how we categorize animals, I mean, it's not a perfect system, but there is some rhyme and reason to how we do it. Mm -hmm. But uh, bacteria, like we don't got, we don't have phylums. We don't know what we're doing with how, how they are, you know, oh, how closely related they are. Yeah, because like, even if you have what you think is a pure strain and you cultivate it several times, over time it will accumulate mutations and then maybe you have a strain that is adapted to the specific conditions you're growing it in maybe mm. you know and then you, is it fair to compare that to the same species that you right. isolated in 1992 right. you know it's like it's a real challenge and actually i was talking to my supervisor a couple of months ago and she was just saying that it's very interesting that there are categories of bacteria that are isolated from way different parts of the world and they have similar characteristics because like how does that happen in terms of evolution like did right. they get separated and just retain those genes or like some convergent condition that's wild <laughs> bacteria yeah. bacteria is super cool
Yeah. They are. Yeah. I, and we're I all guess the same we, team. yeah, we all depend <laughs> on them so much and we know so little about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But with, I think the understanding or the beginning to understand the influence of the microbiome on so many surprising human conditions, mm. not just gastrointestinal things but you know all sorts of system like whole human body system Mm -hmm. so i think that's that's uh, moving us more towards seeing them not like necessarily a bad guy and part of us part of our own ecosystems they're not Mm -hmm. they're not wolves hey wolves aren't wolves (laughs) (laughs) oh they are wolves then they're kind of like wolves i I would say because you know these seem to be bad guy but yeah but you need them. Totally. That's all part of a them. system. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, you're right. So they are wolves. So how did we get onto bacteria, Sujani? Yeah, when you were us. little Sujani, give let us know like what was what was she into? She was into a lot of things, really. So it's been a winding road for me to get here. I had a lot of different interests, um, and even when I graduated high school, like I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Sure. So my my first year of undergrad, I actually took classes from anything that interested me. And I was actually in business school. Right. Um, And then I eventually took biology and chemistry. I took like international studies and French and economics and all these things. And biology was just kind of the one that stuck. The one that I found the most interesting, the most challenging. And then I was introduced to microbiology as part of the required course courses. And it was kind of like, okay, this is what I want to do. I think I really like the lab techniques. I like mm. the streaking plates and just the just the lab things. I really enjoyed doing those. I liked looking at the little bacteria, like root gram stains and being able to see them under mm-hmm. a microscope was cool to me. Um, and then I was doing a cooperative education program, which is like where you work for a couple of semesters. Um, and I had to do a presentation on Edionella sequiensis. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. But it's this bacteria that can degrade plastic. Oh, okay. And uh, it was from a paper published in 2016 um, by a group of Japanese scientists. And that was kind of like a, I don't know, like an enlightening moment of like, oh, they're, they're kind of, they can be an answer to things. They, I mean, mm-hmm. microbes degrade everything that we think is decomposable. And there was this microbe that could eat plastic. And it was kind of like, oh, what else can they do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I got into this field of like environmental microbiology. Mm-hmm. Like microbes can do things that we don't expect them to do. Um, and I was interested in the methane, methane projects that were going on in, in our lab because they do cool things where they take methane and turn it into bioplastic precursors and stuff. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> um bacteria, 3D print with them 3d print bacteria <laughs> <laughs> yeah kind of um and then i guess my lab is put into the methane side and the nitrogen side and i ended up in the nitrogen side yeah are you are you sad about that sujani are you like longing to cross sides <laughs> into methane <laughs> or is this like a sharks and jets <laughs> I, <laughs> I i have grown into loving the nitrogen cycle like a bacteria would yeah (laughs) um but i i guess it's just not as cool to be like oh my microbe can fix your problems with greenhouse gas instead i get to say these microbes are producing greenhouse gas and figure out why it's still pretty cool 
Yeah, it's cool. I like to think of this like hierarchical class system within yeah, <laughs> microbiology. Yeah. Wait, so who? What are the coolest bacteria? <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Well, I think the methanotrophs are really cool because they eat methane and they can turn it into a whole bunch of other things. Hmm. Yeah, my lab mates all work on how do we, you know, streamline this process? How do we scale it up? How do we actually make this mm. a doable thing? But I also think the bacteria eating guy is really cool. Um, I haven't followed up on that research. I probably should because I don't know what happened with it. Yeah, the plastic eating bacteria sounds fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, and there's also different bacteria that can eat a lot of different things that you just think would not be edible. Be possible. Katie, do you have a favorite bacteria? Oh my gosh. Do I have a favorite bacteria? Do you have uh, any bacteria you have any special relationship oh, with? You know, I would I would defer to stromatolites. Stromatolites. Right? So that refers to those rocky structures made of alternating layers of biofilms of bacteria and then like silt and they build these structures and they're the they're the living thing for which we have evidence of the oldest life forms. So they have been that exact type, well, that type of organism has been dated back like 3.5, arguably 3.8 billion years ago. I'm on the 3.5 <laughs> side. Thank you very much. I like your fake intense <laughs> stance on that. I like that that's arguable. Hot arguments. It is. Well, I guess so. well it's the origin of, of life, right? right. Or, or, or what we think to be the And first so those things, life. they're still around and they're still making these pillars. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, they have fossilized ones in near Ottawa, which is, uh, I'm dying to see them. Okay. Dying. Yeah, I know. You keep talking about <laughs> wanting to go see these fossils. I do bring it up. Uh, you know about stromatolites, right, Sujani? Yeah. Yeah. They're not on her list, though. She's into way cooler bacteria. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What are stromatolites <laughs> What are they eat? doing? What do about? they eat, huh? Yeah, nothing, nothing <laughs> cool. Yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> My favorite bacteria has to be my strain. That's my my child. Of point. course, yeah. yeah and no. what do they look like? Are they rod shaped? What type? What What do your bacteria look like? Mine actually are spherical. My friend actually did um, TEM images, so transfusion <gasps> electron microscopy images, and they were spherical, which I didn't know. Hmm. Um, and that was that was very interesting. But they're also like pink. That is um, cool. Yeah, uh, I also grow them in like a pink media because it has an indicator. So I thought they were just the color of the media, but they're not. Mm. Even if I grow them in clear media and I like spin them down and concentrate them, they're like a little like peachy color. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. And they don't <laughs> smell bad. And they don't smell bad. That's good. If you have to Perk. work with them for years. Oof. Yeah. Some are nasty. Well, I mean, methane can't be great to work with. Oh, I mean, even growing E. coli in a little Petri dish, they smell like really bad breath. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they can get stinky. Well, I mean, it's good that we have a response to E. coli that is not positive. <laughs> well, we have E. coli isn't, again. I guess you're right. They're yeah. like a wolf. The wolf. Everyone thinks they're, they're bad, bad. But they're not. You need them. Like, like C. diff, right? C. diff's bad if it be, it's like the dominant bacteria, but it's a normal part of your gut bacteria. Mm -hmm. E. coli is also like the model organism for like right. all bacteria, so... Yeah, I didn't want to pick that as my favorite. I feel like that's a hack pick, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like picking the Beatles as your favorite band. <laughs> yeah, we get it. Yeah, you you heard a song. <laughs> <laughs> now, 
back on topic. Sujani, uh, what are, what do you, when you look ahead, you said you wanted to be an instructor. So, so are you talking about being a professor or, or just any type of instructor? How do you, how do you see Sujani's future? I would, I mean, I would like to be a professor. I don't think I want to stay in research. Like I don't want to be a principal investigator mm. and like run a lab, but I really enjoy teaching. So the best part of my graduate experience so far has been the teaching assistantships. I mean, my graduate experience has also been, you know, oh, yeah. interrupted and disrupted by, by, difficult time. by <laughs> um, unprecedented circumstances. Mm -hmm. But the teaching has been something that I really, really enjoyed. Um, so that's kind of where I want to go. I want to be teaching science, basically, hoping they learn real good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. I feel that. And, and did you did you see that as being something you might be interested in prior to being a TA? Yes, I did. I, I was looking forward to the teaching assistantship as well. I had been like a peer tutor mm. uh, previously when I did my undergrad and also in high school. And um, a lot of my family have been teachers. My mom was a teacher. Oh, my grandparents nice. were teachers. <laughs> Um, I think baby Sujani, even though she had no idea what her interests were, <laughs> being a teacher was, was a cool thing to, right, to be. Yeah. So, yeah, I would love to be teaching science. I would love to be a lab instructor and show people, like, how to play things and uh, stuff. Are you more like a hands-on kind of person? You like doing the stuff? 50-50? Um, 50-50. Yeah. And so has your teaching then been all or mostly over Zoom or are you teaching in person? Uh, for the past year, it's been over Zoom. Mm. They did have like limited in-person experiences, but they were not really comparable to a proper lab. Oh yeah, it was was my point of view. But perhaps they were for some some courses. I don't know. Um, teaching over Zoom was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't prefer it over teaching in person for sure. Um, yeah. I really miss just like connecting with students and mm -hmm. like being able to remember their faces, like associate names and faces. So teaching over Zoom was not not the best experience, but I'm glad that there is a technology that allows yeah. us to do that. Absolutely. At all, yeah. So. Yeah, it's crazy to think, yeah, what, what this would have felt like or what this would have been like. The effects Even it would like have. 10 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is all very, very new. And thankfully, the tools were there to just wait to be picked up. I oh guess. my gosh! Yeah, and that, if you, yeah, if, if you if you liked teaching not as much, but you still liked it over Zoom, that that bodes well for you as a teacher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you didn't absolutely hate the Zoom teaching, that probably means <laughs> you're on the right track. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Jenny, uh, what do you like to do when you're not talking bacteria? <laughs> that's that's the question. She's always talking um, bacteria in the lab, <laughs> yeah. at the bar. <laughs> um, I I don't have any any like committed hobbies. I find sure. I think I just pick things up that I want to do for fun, and then I try it out. And if I like it, I do it for a while. If I don't like oh. it, I don't. What have you been picking up lately? Lately, I've been picking up wedding planning. <laughs> oh. Well, that's a good yes, project. Yes, you're newly engaged. Congratulations. I am. So my time is very much spent researching and looking up all things wedding related, which I really enjoy. I actually really enjoy like event planning. Like I like mm. birthday parties and baby showers and stuff like that. 
And I love weddings. I've always loved weddings. Oh, so amazing. this is my main hobby at the moment. I mean, also, this is the one where you get the final say. Yes. It's not someone else's. This is yours. Yes. <laughs> Will there be bacteria-themed gifts? <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, but maybe there should be. Yeah, some table centerpiece. Yeah. People can take home a little model of your bacteria. Ooh, uh, you can use the color of the bacteria for the bridesmaid's gown. Just put <laughs> yes. it out there. <laughs> yes, a nice peach. Yeah. <laughs> You're writing this down. Color. Yeah. This is her plan. I'm sorry. Let her I got excited. It. Yeah. I like to celebrate other people's engagements. <laughs> it's in line with my preferences. <laughs> Celebrating other yeah. people's stuff. Well, I think I think we're near the end, David. Yeah. Oh, Sue Johnny, you've been an amazing guest. I have no doubt you are going to figure out this enzyme yeah. sitch on your bacteria. And that's a great mystery to solve. I'm excited. I know. I'm. I'm like. I'm gonna write write this down. I want to follow up and yeah. see what the, what the truth is. <laughs> Because we teach different like alternative meta- metabolic strategies and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'll give a shout out to your little peachy, peachy boys. Whatever these <laughs> are peachy boys. I peachy like boys. boys. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to call them that from now on. Nice. We, we <laughs> did something boys. useful. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, Sujan, you've been an amazing guest. You'll be an amazing teacher. And, and best of luck with the rest of your masters. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a fun time. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. We had a blast. Thanks. Yes. Oh man, that was so cool. That was fascinating. It's so cool to think of like how like all the different things or living things have have realized they can use for food. I mean, if there's something that can be used by food, something will come along and make it into food. That's basically it. That's basically it. That's like, got to be the, the the way the world works. And like how that works. So this is like the one topic that I teach that I just love teaching because it's just such a rad story. The idea of like respiration how you take you take like a sugar you take glucose which has a bunch of hydrogens you rip those hydrogens off give it to other things and that eventually powers making energy that your body can use it's just it's such a wild story and and organisms have learned to use all sorts of things to 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 transfer that energy it feels like it's just what's lying around how do i get it out of that thing (laughs) yeah use it myself well there's a huge selective pressure right if there's a pile of food that no one's using yeah if someone can figure out how to use that you've got no competition and if it's one person's waste can be turned into another uh, thing's food you you got yourself a cycle you get yourself a cycle right there I don't know who those characters <laughs> They're are. From New York, they love nitrogen <laughs> that cycles. Our, that was our bad <laughs> New Yorker. Into no, nitrogen. those were our good. New oh, Yorker. That that's was, not good. That's not a good that's sign. That's not a good no. sign. Oh my gosh. Well, that was a really cool story. Yeah, uh, super fascinating research. Uh, Sue Jenny was a lovely guest. Yes, you got you got really jazzed there. I love that stuff. <laughs> I learned. Real good. No, that's nice. Okay, well, Vinny, why don't you send our get our, our our audience off with our socials? If you want to follow us on social media, you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at LRGPod. That's LRGPod on all your social media. You turn into an NPR uh, yeah. journalist at the end. I was going to say spokesperson. Yeah, I'm also a spokesperson for, <laughs> for NPR. NPR. That's, and wind turbines. And <laughs> that's right. I love wind turbines. We get $1, it. $1,000. You can oh own my your own piece of a wiggly carbon tube. I hope they sponsor us. That'd be hilarious if we got the weirdest sponsors. Wind turbines? Yeah. yeah our audience is the people who are going to buy wind turbines. <laughs> yes. Not like mattresses or like envelopes. 
wind turbines. I want to get that company I bought newts from to to, <laughs> to to sponsor us. That's my goal. I have a goal. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. This is Katie and Vinny, hoping you learned real good. Bye.